Thank you for joining us for live paranormal radio from the paranormal to the unexplained it all happens here it all happens here looking to enhance your radio experience participate in our live video chat 24 7 with our live paranormal radio show hosts and other like-minded people live paranormal.com the only interactive social chat room supported by full interaction media stop by now and join the fun stop by now and join the fun iHeartRadio.com, also Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Podbean, Podomatic, Blog Talk Radio, Player FM. There are more syndicates that I have not even gotten to yet. Uh, I'm trying to memorize them all, and I always forget some. I'm Sheena Metal. I'm your host. I'm, uh, I work in the spiritual world and the entertainment world. I'm a psychic medium. I'm an interfaith minister. I'm also a 28-year talk radio host in L.A., I'm a performing artist, and this is Raising the Vibration. So in 2016, I founded a movement of peace and love and kindness and unity to carry on my mom's teachings, both spiritual and humane, after her passing. And uh, this show was the first outreach of that. It's really about a lot of things. It's about involvement. It's about love. It's about inspiration, ascension, basically what are you doing to make the world a better place and how are you inspiring other people to do the same? And my guests today have been on so many of my radio shows and I love them so much and I'll, I'll tell you why they fit perfectly into this theme. Uh, all of them are living historians. Uh, anybody who knows me knows I'm a complete history buff. I can't get enough, especially early American history is, is really my favorite. There is an expression, right? If you fail to remember the past, you're doomed to repeat it. And when people say to me, oh, I don't care about history or history's stupid or, well, I don't need to learn about history. It's in the past. It's not coming back. Well, if you look at the history of humanity, you realize so many things come back. And it's because people have not observed what has come before them. And that's why I think doing something like going to a historical reenactment as these wonderful gentlemen do um, all the time, full-time. The one I'm going to be talking about specifically here in my beloved hometown of Huntington Beach is Civil War Days in our Central Park, put on by the Huntington Beach Historical Society. And um, it's so important that you get out and see how Americans lived, and especially during the American Civil War, probably the absolute hardest time in our history as a country. And realize what's important in life and how we can as humans triumph and survive stuff like that and move forward into better times of more unity more kindness more peacefulness a more loving time and that's why we're all here today so please welcome from civil war days of course a big part of the huntington beach historical society and civil war days is my wonderful friend daryl rivers also, um, the Ulysses S. Grant reenactor, Ken Surface is here, and their Abraham Lincoln reenactor, Robert Broski. Welcome to all of you. You know you. I love you all. We've done this so many times, but welcome to a little bit of a different take on it, right? Because you've never done this show before, and I'm honored to have you here. Daryl, thank you for putting this together. Thanks for having us. Now, um, <laughs> okay, see you later. Well, how do? 
This is uh, okay. This is Abraham Lincoln. I'm How I'm still you? alive. It's, it's, it's good to be it's still nice alive. It's good to see you all. It's good <laughs> to be here with all of you. Um, now, yeah. have you all ever thought of what I said from that perspective? That when people come out and they learn from you, and not just at Civil War days, but um, also all of you are all individually like historical reenactment teachers, right? You do a you appear as your character. Uh, Daryl appears as many characters. You help educate many. people. That the education of what has come before us. Um, do you agree, Ken? It informs our future as not just as a culture, but also as people. Oh, absolutely. Um, besides portraying Grant on an almost uh, weekly basis, more or less three, four days a week, um, I, do, I've, I've, uh, I do a talk about uh, lighthouses in New Jersey. I talk about Nazi saboteurs attacking the Pennsylvania Railroad in Altoona, Pennsylvania. And I work part-time as a train conductor at a steam, steam excursion railroad, too. So... Every, and my Marine Band part, everything I do for an occupation or whatever is based in time travel, and it's based in, you know, demonstrating historical information. So, yeah, there's so many things that – and the feedback from people will tell you all the time that they'll say, I never knew this aspect, or isn't that inter- interesting how that's so similar to now, you know, so the observations yep. they make. Right. I mean, I, I always say that when you – people that say – like, I don't trust people to say I hate Shakespeare. So I'll just say that if that's me being a hater, I don't trust people to say I hate Shakespeare. But when you watch a Shakespeare play, <laughs> it's basically like you could watch a soap opera, a modern soap opera tomorrow, and it's the same kind of storyline. And growing up in Asher, Shakespeare taught me that um, human beings haven't changed since the beginning of time, certainly not since the right. 1500s. So I think by learning about history, you learn about – yourself and and what you're doing here on the earth and and i think the civil war reenactments especially because we need to make sure that time never comes back we never need to be in a war with each other in this country um right the warning the warning signs are always there if only people look yes i agree i agree robert how about you how do you how do you feel about that because you you two are a full-time actor right so you you also have yes. – you're a reenactor, but you're also an artist and an actor. And um, do you agree that – I mean, I know from Lincoln because we've talked about it, but do you agree that in, in every role that you play, you learn something and you grow a little bit? Oh, definitely, yes. Um, I think, though, as Ken and uh, Daryl would say, in our roles as historic characters, we've grown by leaps and bounds – and we've caused other people to grow by leaps and bounds. I think when, when you come to a Civil War reenactment, you see characters, you see reenactors that are portraying honesty, integrity, the desire to do the right thing, and following their passion. They're not whipping out on some ideal, and they're not protesting something, or they're, they're living it and they're uh, expounding on these ideals that made this country great. I agree, 100%. And I also think people need to see that that more innocent time. I mean, certainly the Civil War was not an innocent time, but the 1800s compared to now, right, they were, people didn't have all the information that we have. They didn't know all the conspiracy theories. They they were happy to have dinner on the table. And I think we've become very spoiled in modern society. And with that, 
very complacent. And it's so important for us to spend a weekend in the mid-1800s and realize that, man, people were happy just to be able to cook the beans on a fire because you really realize what's important about it, right? Well, you know what, though? I agree. When, when you look at... When you look at the letters that the, the boys wrote home in the Civil War times, and then you go into every period when our boys were at war and they were writing home, most of the time their letters dealt with the personal issues around them in camp or what they wanted to know what was going on at home more than the geopolitical involvement. Of what, you know, They weren't writing about so-and-so in Washington or, boy, I hope that bill passes. They were, in spite of not having the, the, the information dumped on them constantly like we do now, that that's a timeless thing. Cause even uh, when we when we went over to Iraq in 2003, we were still writing letters and some email, and most of it dealt with, "Hey, make sure my dog gets fed. I, oh, I can't wait to see my daughter when her teeth come in." You know, and those things are timeless. So for all of that change, the, it's the human nature that uh, really remains. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I, I think that's wonderful, and I, and I think that it's also important for us to get. Um, an idea on on time, right? Um, there was a time when, during almost all of those wars, right, until you got to, I guess the beginning, probably Desert Storm was the beginning. You were you wrote letters, you guys in the service. Still, yeah. Yep. Sometimes you didn't get that letter for three, four months. And back in the day, sometimes somebody would walk off to war, and you didn't know if they were coming home. And maybe two years later, they showed back up on your doorstep. And right, you yeah, you didn't hear their, from them um, at all. Right, and you kept that love and that hope in your heart until they came back. I have a a, a, a spiritual practice, a counseling practice, and it always makes me laugh when people are like, but he hasn't texted me back in an hour. I'm thinking, honey, in 1862, <laughs> he would have said, you're not come back for three years. And I think it's it's important that we see that and we understand that everything doesn't have to be instantaneous at your fingertips in order to matter. Right. Because I think um, before we got to this huge industrial and then technological age, um, cyber age then, people lived on hope, right? It's just until you heard bad news, you assumed the news was good. And I think it would well, be so good for, for us to do for, for Grant, uh, when Grant was in Mexico in 1846, he wrote to his wife just about every day, and he received, in the two years he was in Mexico, he received three letters from her. Because uh, yeah. physically she had strabismus, so she had a problem reading and then writing. But he, it, to him it didn't matter. He was just pouring out his heart to make himself feel connected, that he wrote to her all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love that. And I, I love that idea of, of the, you know, somebody asked me, I was on a, at a conference this weekend, and somebody asked me what was the most important thing that I, about what I did as a radio host. And I said it's keeping alive the, the sacred practice of storytelling, that we can never yeah. forget how important it is to share stories. Like just today, you guys are sharing historical stories, but you're also sharing your own stories. People need to hear stories about how other people live. And that That's I think funny you say it that way. A lot of times right. when I'm pitching – when I'm pitching myself to get books somewhere, I describe myself as a historical, as, as a uh, uh, living history storyteller. I love that. Yeah. Robert, do you feel that way? 
Uh, somebody's breaking up. I can't hear very well. Okay, well, I'm on I-40 between Knoxville and Nashville, Tennessee, so I don't know if it's my phone. Uh, it's always oh, you're, you're traveling? Oh, yeah, I'm on the road right now. Well, on horseback, it makes it a little tough to talk when you're on horseback. Well, we're, we're just going at a walk right now. We're just going at a walk right now. Well, Lincoln, you seem to forget... You seem to forget the consummate horseman that I am. I should be able to do that. I mean, you know, I stood on, stood on a horse's back barefoot. Well, in yes. the circus, they stand up on the saddle. Well, I did that as a boy barefoot without a saddle and got 20 bucks for, for showing a guy that his horse was broken. So, uh. God, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's fantastic. Uh, Daryl, how about you? I mean, do you consider yourself to be a storyteller? I mean, you do a lot of YouTube videos and you actually share history with people, right? I mean, that's, that's the old school history storyteller. And as Irish people, as people thought, right, that's, that's in our lineage to be a storyteller. It's part of our DNA. Yeah, we're all bards. We're all uh, storytellers. And I think when you get through to people by telling the story really well, I think all three of us, all four of us, are very good storytellers. And I think that's one of my favorite things about our events is that we are able to inspire people with those stories. And sometimes people come back. I feel very old now because, you know, people will come back and say, you know, I went to this event very young and now I'm working on my college thesis or whatever. And they'll uh, they'll talk about how, their, their love for history started at, at our event. And sometimes it's not a love of the Civil War or the Revolution. It's just, you know, that, that, that interest in, in other stories and research and, and uh, history in general. Yeah, absolutely. Daryl, how young were you, were you when Civil War Day started? Were you even alive when it started? Uh, I was two. I was two. <laughs> well, I... I, I I was I was apparently propped up on a on a stool and told to serve chili. We have the photo <laughs> to the uh, civil soldiers. You had to graduate to the reenactment. At the beginning, they made you work in the back. Yes. That's fantastic. Yes. Um, so when you were little, and maybe I'm going to ask you all this because I know this is such an important part of my childhood. When you were little, and I, I know Daryl because we're very close, that. You're somebody who remembers his childhood very well. What what did you think of historical reenactment? What did it feel like to you when you were very small? Oh well, I'll tell you. You know, for for quite a while, the reenactors were were just those weirdos that show up on the weekends. I uh, you know we didn't always. I wasn't always a reenactor. Um, and, and, you know, we hosted the events, but they were always uh, kind of aloof. So it's, uh, it's, it's been an interesting experience becoming a reenactor over time and getting more and more involved in the actual uh, pretend reenacting world and the presenter world. And you know, we talked about that difference with the people that are actually interacting with the public and some of the people that are you know, off playing in their own reality. Um, so it's been fun, but uh, it, it's certainly an interesting and diverse uh, hobby and community. Sure. 
school. No, when you were little, though, were you sort of, because I grew up on the East Coast. I always proudly say I'm from one of the original 13 colonies, like a complete nerd. But when I grew up on the East Coast, it seemed like everywhere we traveled to, my mom didn't really like to fly, so we mostly took road trips. And it seemed like everywhere we went, we fell into some kind of historical something or other. And for me as a very young person, everything history was magic, especially everything Civil War was so completely magic to me. And it just felt like um, being in, in a place where I belonged. Um, even before you started reenacting, did you feel that kind of magic when you were at Civil War Day? Oh, absolutely. I never existed in a world without history. So it's kind of, it's, it's weird to think about, you know, not, not growing up with that. We, uh, my mother took me to Gettysburg when I was very small, when I was like seven. Um, you know, we, we made the pilgrimages to the Civil War battlefields. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up where the Civil War was real and happened every year. Um, yeah. So it, it was magic. It existed. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. You know, some, you? Some, you? Pe- some people believe in Santa. I believe in Lincoln. <laughs> oh, I like my, that. I think that. I think I'm going to have that X on my tombstone, Daryl. That's the most beautiful thing anyone's ever said on the earth. Um, but that's how my childhood was. I mean, not to get, you'd have to really watch, listen to one of my woo-woo shows to hear the stories. But as a child, um, I thought Lincoln was my best friend. Like, people had imaginary friends that were, like, really cool and, you know, young and, you know, wild. And my imaginary friend was the coolest man of all, Abraham Lincoln. And we're talking, like, when I was, like, wow. two, three years old, I imagine he was sitting in the living room with me talking to me about things. So, um, so Robert, for you, um, what did you know of reenactment before you became a reenactor? Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nada. I, I was not a historian. I um, had never been to a reenactment. There was a fine gentleman, William Peck, and I know you know him. Um, he was my mentor. He was retiring, and he, he had talked to his wife about finding someone to take his place in his retirement. He had been doing it for about 25 years. And uh, you just don't drop it like that. So him and I happened to have met one time in Hollywood at an audition, and we started talking. And without me knowing it, he went home and told his wife that he found the Abraham Lincoln to take his place. And so he was grooming me for the position. I just happened to get lucky and got old and ugly. And when I grew the beard and looked in the mirror, I couldn't believe what I saw looking back at me. And I said, shame on me if I don't present him now. And I guess William Peck saw something that I didn't see either. And so it definitely, like Daryl says, it grows on you. And you, you realize that it is important. What we're doing is important. It's uh, like you're saying, it's keeping history alive. And it's also setting, I think, the standard for what, uh, you know, what we, our ideals that we're kind of falling away from now and, and, uh, and how we honestly portray our characters. And it's not fantasy. It's not pie in the sky or anything like that. Absolutely. So, so you literally had Lincoln thrust upon you. 
was, yes, it was isn't that funny? It was kind of fake, right? It was a fake thing. Um, it was meant well, to be. And I'm, I want to know that I only hope. because I think you're an amazing man and I consider you a friend, would I let you continue to do my show after you called Lincoln old and ugly? So I just want, <laughs> I just want you to know that only because I'm so fond of you are you still here. Um, yeah, I, mean, it's <laughs> I have to tell you, Robert, and I've talked to Daryl about this many times, um, I've seen a lot of Lincoln, a lot of reenactors. I've seen a lot of movies with Lincoln. I've watched a lot of Lincoln things. And you are organically one of the best Lincolns I've ever seen. I mean, there's just, and it's more about your energy than I think it's about anything else. You seem to really encompass his kindness and his gentleness and his empathy. And I think those were three of the most important things about him. Um, And and it's kind of like, um, down-home nature. You know, he was a very um, humble man, considering. And I think that you really incorporate that, too. I, I think you should be very proud of yourself that you do a great job with it. Well, thank you. But And it grows on you. Like, Ken will say the same thing. His character grows on him before long. You yeah. feel like you take on that essence, right, Ken? In a lot of ways, yeah. Yeah, it's the role model that he presents and and you almost feel like you're not measuring up when you don't meet that standard. Like, you know, for Grant's incredible patience, I have none. And when I lose my patience, <laughs> it's like, oh, I failed him, you know, in some way. It feels like that. Okay, and that's one Definitely. of the things I love the most about you, Ken, is that you are truly Grant's biggest fan, right? I mean, you are kind of a oh, Grant yeah. fanboy. You since really eight, since eight years old. Yeah, I mean, since eight years old, I've been uh, since eight years old. I've been studying the guy. Um, I grew up in Eastern Pennsylvania, so there was a lot of Sons of Union veteran activities, or a lot of guys in uniforms doing different things. uh, A lot of colonial stuff where I grew up. So I I grew up with a lot of that, and and even tourist railroads. The way people portrayed themselves at the railroads, like the, the people working on the train, the conductor, the engineer, everything about them was trying to present this authentic experience and the the, uh, the illusion they create from that sucks you in and it, it makes you makes you start to feel like oh I want to be part of that so that's always been the kind of goal it's just you stay in character and you know you're on from the moment the public sees you so you're out of sight and if you can generate that kind of illusion and bring them in that you know then they're going to read on their own then they're going to want to be part of it so it's addictive I agree. I agree. And I think sometimes Grant gets a bad rap. I think sometimes we're too hard on Grant. All the time. Um, all the time. Oh, boy, I should keep that this weekend about all the things about him being drunk or him being a womanizer or him being a failure as president, you know, all of that. Yeah. 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 And it's a shame, I think, because, you know, he was such a genius as a military strategist, right? I mean, he really was was. And he was just so practical. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, he, and I say I say it a lot of times in my talks about we have the, we have the same um, military manuals we fight the rebels from. They were reading from the same playbook. And he was one of the first ones to realize you can't use the same playbook. You're going to have to be bold and go out of the playbook, you know, be more just uh, use your own your own uh wherewithal and be inventive and he's just that kind of determined guy that finds a way 
that's always been the inspiration about him is that he doesn't fall back on what everybody else is doing. Yeah, yeah. I and I, I think I think you name anybody who who is that good at what they do, everybody has a problem. And so he drank. I mean, I don't know who I don't know who got through that war and didn't drink, frankly, because it was horrifying. I mean, I I, yeah. I can't even imagine. I mean, we talk because you can you live in Gettysburg, right? And I know we talk a lot in the paranormal yes. world where I live a lot of the time about how haunted Gettysburg is. But all the Civil War battlefields are very haunted. Everyone I've ever been oh, to. Yeah. And how could it well, not be with all of the horror of that war energetically imprinting itself on the land? How could it yeah. not be? I mean, Gettysburg Whoa. was like a slaughter. And so I, I don't understand why. Um, how anybody could have gotten through that war and not have been completely scarred by it. And I know back then we didn't really talk that much about, you know, um, the PTSD that happens with military life. But I think even well, Robert they had Wright different terms Lincoln, for it. You know, right. it was shell, it was shell shock, it was battle fatigue, it, there was some other that, term for it that yeah. was applied. Yeah, but it, and it's really the same thing, you know, because you know, as genteel and innocent as the people were in that time, that. They weren't desensitized by video games that blow people up and zombies and what have you, you know. So those kinds of horrors that you're going to carry that. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I think even Robert Wright Lincoln carried so much of it. As such a very empathic yeah. man, um, he carried all of the the horror of the war with him. And if you look at pictures of him before and after that war, he looks like he oh, yeah. twenty years. Yes. Well, he he wore his feelings on his sleeve, as they say, yeah. and because I had to sign the uh, execution papers for many, if not all, of the uh, soldiers that were going to be executed, how do you think that made me feel? And then signing up more young boys to go into battle, knowing that the majority of them were going to get maybe sick and die even before they saw the first battle. Uh, it Yes, it definitely tore me apart. Uh, and there were many times that uh, that I would be weeping by myself and nobody would be around. And then I would also have mothers from both sides, north and south, come to me pleading for their sons to be uh, taken out of prison or to be brought home because the family is starving at their farm because there's nobody there to take care of them. It was, yes, it was a day-to-day, seven days a week tragedy, as Ken would know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, a, a lot. And yeah, I think it, you feel the, a little bit of that during Civil War days. I mean, a tiny bit of it, right? You're not seeing the bloodiest battle ever and you're only seeing three days. I mean, it's not like a Gettysburg where it's three days and, you know, tens of thousands of people are dead. Um, but you do get to feel a little bit of the of the horror of it. And I think it's good for people to feel that because I think sometimes people need a reality check, like I said, about what, what life was like before. Um, it's not like you said, Ken, not playing a video game. It's not pretending to play war with your PlayStation. I mean, it's it's what people were really going through, and it's not somebody sits in a, a somewhere and, and like automatic missiles go out somewhere. I mean, everything that happened, real people had to be on that battlefield for every moment of that. And um, well, I tell you, I mean, living 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 right in the middle of Gettysburg, where there was fighting within within a hundred yards of my house itself, literally 
the rough house is two doors over the the peach orchard across the street where our troops were shooting at, at uh, the Louisiana Tigers in a house on uh, on Baltimore Street. That energy just in town. Uh, my dog, my new dog I have, there. we walked up this one street the other night, uh, Breckenridge Street, and where Jenny Wade, American Hero, grew up. And my dog did not want to go up that street. And that street's notorious for there was a, a barricade put across where the Revs were hiding behind to shoot at the Yankees. So just in town, wow. yeah. that. And then there's, there's other parts of uh, different different spots on the battlefield that are much that way that there's just a heaviness um but i felt the same thing at vicksburg and there's a couple locations at vicksburg and at shiloh there is there's just this heaviness at shiloh and cold harbor uh there's a video thing Daryl and Daryl came out to do with us and uh, we were grant and rollins sitting at, at cold harbor where the last assaults were ordered that were a complete debacle and the the heaviness came over us when we were filming it that the despondency and, and the, the utter, you know, just just re- the readiness to just give up from what had just occurred. It, it really came over us. Uh, and the energy right. on the field, you, you couldn't deny it. Yes. And I think yeah. one, of the, one of the reasons, one of the reasons that we are here today is to encourage people to come out to the reenactment. And I think what we are talking about today, they can have a sense of that when they come out, please talk to any reenactor. If it's a soldier, yeah. if it's one of the generals, if it's uh, the school marm, or it's uh, one of the um, uh, sutlers, anybody in, in character there will have a story. Many of them take on a actual character that lived during the Civil War. Ask them where they came from, who they leave behind, why are they fighting, the, and people will get overwhelmed with the different uh, information that they're going to learn. We've heard, as, as Daryl will say, many people at the end of it were blown away by everything that they found out that they learned that day, and they come back the next day to, to uh, just experience it again. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I, and I think it's like, it's yes, really allow yourself to immerse yourself in the energy of it all. And, and pay attention. And also, you know, when you're shopping, shop at the, at the vendors and look at, like, you know, what people had to work with then. It's, it's fascinating and how they made soap out of something and, and how they made food out of something and how they made tools out of something. I think it, it really reminds you when you live in our modern-day world um, how um, talented and, uh, and survivalist people are, right? And, and the ingenuity of, of seeing how you could make a tool out of something and then doing it with your bare hands. It, it feels good to really be active in your own life. And I think watching historical things, um, you know, really, really helps with that. Daryl, you grew up um, at Civil War Days, as we talked about, and you've done a lot of reenacting. Have you ever had somebody watch the battle scenes? Because you do two battles a day, right, the two days, you do two battles every day. Has, any, has it ever been too much for anybody? Has anybody ever really gotten uh, overwhelmed and frightened by it? Yeah, I think people do get emotional about it. Um, there, there have been well, a couple of that. Say again, Ken? There was uh, one of my Marine buddies had been in Iraq. Uh, he was there like six months longer than from when I was out doing that. But... Uh, 
he he was his first event when he came home was your event, and he was talking to me off to the side, and the cannon was firing. He kept jumping. He dropped his musket, and he was nervous as hell. And was like, "Look, you need to just go home. You should not be here." You know. So yeah, he was having a direct reenactor from there. a real soldier because the real soldiers actually duck. <laughs> Oh, and we're, we're completely yeah. desensitized so. to the explosion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. I can imagine it's a lot to be involved in that if you've already been through that. But yeah. it can no, be an emotional well, thing, and, and there are people that, not just the emotion of the battlefield, but sometimes it's really overwhelming to, to you know, they say don't meet your heroes, but you can meet your heroes at, at uh, Civil War. Good, uh, um, Bob, I, I, Bob, I met someone... Yeah. Say, Daryl, Bob, can you and, uh, Jerry? Yes. Uh, Jerry comes and she Hi. she loves Lincoln. So Jerry comes every year and she loves Lincoln. Ah. And she can't she can't yeah. get enough of Lincoln's essence and his stories and so uh, yeah, there's people who come just yeah. for um, that connection. Yeah. Well, yeah, Daryl, can you like can you explain? Daryl, can you explain? I was wondering if Daryl can explain all the different, because he knows uh, for sure, all the vendors, all the exhibits. Can you walk through from, the, from each battle camp to each uh, 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 vendor there and sutlers and the school and the hospital and all that? Can you, can you kind of walk through all that's going to be there if someone shows up? Well, there's, there's all sorts. So there's the union camp. There's, there's the two big military camps, and each of those soldiers is really going to be, um, you know, doing how the individual soldier lived, and they'll set up their different regiments' camps, and you can go through them um, and see what life was like for the soldiers. There's civilians that set up what was, what was like for some of the refugees, or some of them pretend like they're in their house, but... Um, they have different different aspects of civilian life, um, and then there's all the different sutlers. Some of them work, work with wood or leather. There's a lot of antiques people. Um, there's all sorts of all sorts of vendors. That, that some are crafts, some are antiques. But my favorite thing about our event that, that sets sets it apart from from other reenactments is some of a little bit of a a, a caliber above just the, the meet and greet. And we always, Ken and I always the nicest, but sometimes we make fun of other uh, uh, presenters that will come up and um, basically do a lineup of uh, <laughs> here's my name. I was born on yeah, it's it's the it's the roll call of reenacting where they just say their name, their birthday, and uh, so check me out. They did, you know, one significant it's, thing. Uh, um, my name is Grant. I was a general. I won the war. So check me out. Yeah, you'd be surprised how close a lot of reenactments do actually come to doing just that lineup. But we've kind of created little little scenes, little vignettes for people. Because we know we can't recreate the entire Civil War. We can't, we can't really, truly replicate a lot of moments. But we kind of create little vignettes 
for people. Um, of and then course, get them we involved where they can address. discuss with us. Yeah. Sure, sure. There's always the, the question and answer afterwards. Um, well, we're, well, we're creating a... I was going to say the thing where we're, Grant and Lee are going to sit down and have have the public sit with them and talk to the both of them, you know, in a in a circle and, and not just get a lecture and then like a press conference question thing later. They're going to get to be involved in a conversation. Yeah, there's there's all That's sorts. Wonderful. Some of them are, are are like that. Some of them are more like a a speech. You know, Robert will get up on on the picnic table and deliver his speeches, and everyone is inspired. Um, and then right. so the, yeah. the kind of the opposite end of that are our Native American presentation talking about Native Americans in the Civil War. They are two of the most quiet people you'll ever meet. And so I kind of have to uh, quiet everyone down in the area so that they can kind of have a more intimate presentation. And so there's, there's, there's something for everybody there. Um, we're, one of the things that I've added this year is, is a reconstruction debate. And just like oh. um, people in political circles debated what was going to happen to the South should the Union win the war, we're going to uh, very angrily heckle each other in period about uh, what the plan should be. Oh, that's fascinating. That's great. And, and what about – I don't think I've ever asked you all about this, but, Daryl, what about the role of women in the war? Because I see – I mean, obviously, most women are dressed up in their in their beautiful dresses, and that can be anything from very fancy with a parasol to um, much more conservative. Um, but there are a lot of women at Civil War days dressed in soldier outfits. So th- absolutely, you see every sort. You, you see every role portrayed there. There are people who. Um, the, that portray women who dressed up as men. Um, there were there are uh, women who portray vivandières, the people who accompanied um, the soldiers out to the battle, and they had their own um, militaresque uniform. There are people that are they portray that they're part of uh, societies like the Christian Commission um, or relief mm-hmm. societies. The yeah, temperance, and then there's every class. There's there's people that portray very you know very astute women, and then there are the the washer women that follow the troops that uh, are doing doing some of the uh, some of the regular daily life work. It's like from, from yeah. the Mrs. Grant all the way down. Is the Iron Character Inn going to be there, Daryl? Is is oh, the I Iron Territory Inn so. going to be there? Pardon? I I expect so, but I know nothing of them. <laughs> I do not either. I look, but if, I look if, the other way. Has Mitchell ever been there? Oh, shame on you. No. But if when the crowd comes down this weekend, definitely go by the Iron Pear Tree Inn, and you can either protest them or take in some of their livelihood either way, but it is part of what happened back then. And I'm not going to say any more than that. You're just going to have to find out for yourself. That's one of the more interesting impressions that people have come up with in the past years. They do a temperance league that they are um, uh, portraying the the people that would 
uh, protest uh, the uh, the use of alcohol of any kind, and they they get yep. people to swear the temperance oath. That's actually how my character John Rollins and um, and Grant met, is they were in the Temperance Society in Galena. Oh, interesting. Grant, Grant was in the Temperance Society? We yeah, were, so we were in the time. Temperance League. Really? Some, peop- some people are more temperate than others. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, what happened? Well, what happened was he overcomes it because he doesn't drink all the way through the war. Yeah. Right, right. That's true. Then he makes up for it. That's it. No, there we go. See, he makes up for it. Excuse me? No, he doesn't. He's not drinking when he's president either. So there's there's another misnomer. (laughs) Well, those are things the crowd can ask you. Let's, uh, let's I won't not be talking about the president's years because that's out of out of time. So we'll just have to leave we'll, that. We'll argue that when we get there. Exactly. We will, I, we will I, argue I, that I, when I, we get I, there. Yes. Well, there, well, there's nothing to argue. You got you look at the facts of it, and that's, that settles it. So, uh, opinions <laughs> right. and what somebody did on TV don't matter to the facts. Right. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I didn't mean to speak out of turn. I, I said it out of love just to be funny. Um, um, yeah, it's interesting oh. um, how 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 people pick their reenacting character, right? I'm fascinated by that. Like, how do you just what do you decide you're going to do when you come to Civil War days? Who are you going to portray in history? Is it going to be an actual historical feature, uh, a, a figure? Is it going to be just a kind, a type of person? And what do you decide what appeals to you during that time? I think that's one of the most fascinating things about history is, is when I was, who is when I was a regular reenactor, when I was a regular reenactor, uh, we could do a uh, general persona of, you know, composite impression, or you could pick somebody and dive in and be that person. Right. And so, there's uh, a lot of, that, there's a lot of reenactors that have, ancestors that fought on the north yes. or the south or both and a lot of them will take yeah. on the character of their great 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 grandfather or grandmother or whatever i think that is fascinating because they can tell you a story that's that'll just uh, just blow your socks off and i'll tell you something about my own life that i learned at civil war days two years ago um, you know, I'm such a Lincoln nut that I was Union all the way, but I always felt like there was a little bit of me that might be Confederate because my mom was from Kentucky. But then two years ago, a lovely gentleman explained to me that Louisville actually was a Union sympathizing city. So actually my relatives that fought in the Civil War, and I have found them by tracing my ancestry, um, actually were not Confederate soldiers. So sometimes you think you're wow. something and then you realize not. Um, isn't that an interesting thing that there were states where, right, where, uh, Daryl, where certain parts of a state went, no, 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 we're going to be this. Yeah. In fact, I think there's only, only South Carolina doesn't send regiments to both sides. There are, there are different, uh, there are regiments raised, um, with troops from, from every state for both sides. There's, uh. You know, yeah. Maryland, of course, and a lot of the border states 
have a lot more. Um, but but sentiment is divided, and people don't, uh, you know. There's everybody. Everybody had, was in the middle of the debate, just like they are now. There's a, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a heated debate wherever you go. That's very true. Yeah, I mean, I, I lived in Baltimore for a while as a kid. And outside of Baltimore, between Baltimore and the Pennsylvania border, and there was, a, you know, a lot of the South will rise again talk. And people, <laughs> even on the street that I lived on, proudly uh, bragging that their attic once hid um, smuggled and so yeah just because you live somewhere doesn't mean everybody has that mindset right and, and well, there's a confederate, I'm sorry there's a confederate uh, veteran who's buried in Burlington New Jersey who was 15 and his family moved to Georgia in 1860 so he fought with Georgia at Gettysburg and deserted at Gettysburg and walked home to New Jersey after the battle there and uh, told his, he didn't tell his children, he told his grandchildren and made them swear that only after he was dead were they allowed to reveal his uh, history. Wow. 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 Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, Daryl, what about California? What role did California play, if any, in the Civil War? Well, there's, <laughs> that's a, uh, that's one of our talks. There's a, uh, it's quite a long story that there's everyone talks about, you know, how could it possibly have affected California, but there's, there's quite a bit. There was a campaign where, you know, the Confederates thought they would march all the way across the desert and, and maybe take California. And that, that gets stopped in, in New Mexico and Arizona. There are a bunch of attempts to, um, you know, steal, uh, raid, uh, naval trade and and there are a lot of I don't know act, acts of local violence that people attribute to the Confederacy or the Union, but they probably weren't really acting for either side. Um, there's there's a great story of an an old man flew a Confederate flag in in uh, downtown Sacramento and. That was captured, and so they have an official captured Confederate flag. There's a lot of little stories like that that um, um, that pop up here and there. In in our area, in L.A. and Orange County, there there was um, the threat of Confederate sentiment, so they brought down the dragoons from from Fort Tejon um, quite a few times. And the drum barracks in Long Beach is where some of the uh, some volunteers from what became the California Column, um, troops that moved from Southern California out to meet this potential force in Arizona. They they formed um, starting in the drum barracks. The, the big connection, though, with California in the Civil War and Huntington Beach in the Civil War is the veterans. Because after the Civil War, here are all these young young veterans that are now starting their lives after this terrible war and a lot of them move out west and so there's a lot of um, a lot of union veterans actually held their meetings in Huntington Beach there were big they called them grand grand encampments of the grand army of the republic and they would people from all over the west would meet in Huntington Beach everybody would camp out and they'd have these uh, these reunions with different soldiers 
Wow, that's fantastic. Isn't that interesting? But I guess that was a time after the war, right, where people were very into, okay, let's go west. And the country was really expanding in the 10, 20, 30 years after that war. Expanding west. Yeah, that's that's the thing. Everybody's uh, everybody's moving west. There's opportunities in California and um, so the, rail, the railroad is that possible. And uh, yeah, yeah, there's yeah. not much, and, and, particularly in the south. There's not much to do. So a lot of those boys go west. Yeah. Yep. The 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 transcontinental railroads finally completed after the war. It's uh, it's Homestead it's, Act opportunities abound. Yes. Yeah, the Homestead Act, too. Yeah. Right, yes. Is that your fault? That was my fault, yes. Thank you. We can can talk about it when we get there. It had... It had good it had good points and bad points. It and there was controversy over why did we even do it in the first place. So you'll have to come and ask either myself or uh, Grant or anybody with Daryl. We'll we'll have an answer for him. So have him ask us about the Homestead Act. You betcha. Absolutely. And Daryl, talk a little bit about um, the character that you regularly do. I know I know that sometimes you character hop, but there's there's one gentleman that you play pretty much every every time, right? Oh, yes. I'm a famous turncoat, but um, I'm Ken's chief of staff. So I'm, I'm Grant's chief of staff, um, John Rollins. And he was a, a lawyer from Galena, and they uh, use uh, – we're, we're kind of the same age difference as Ken and I. So it's been an interesting uh, journey developing our, our relationship there, too. Um, we, we have an hour-long YouTube video of just discussing how we've developed that. <laughs> but, um, and then I also portray a, uh, on the Confederate side, I portray a, a British mercenary because a lot of people came over to fight from different countries in the Civil War for different reasons. Some sure. people were over, over here for political reasons and idealism, and some people were just here for, here for the job. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's that's awesome. And will you be playing both of those characters this weekend? Oh yeah, there, there's there's four coats lined up. I have my civilian <laughs> coats. I got two different Confederate coats. Got all kinds of. Uh, there's there's always a costume change. There's a full full lineup of programs, and I've I've tried to make it so nobody needs to do too many costume changes one after the other. I think my favorite. Um, Ken vignette was we had a battle immediately followed by a grant talk immediately followed by a concert and I, I I must have accidentally put it like this because Ken was in his marine combat uh, impression and he just books it across the field and, and has to sprint to his tent to get his grant coat and then he puts it on and does his talk, and then he has to sprint back to put on his red coat to do uh, and, to do the and concert. white trousers. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, and you got to change trousers for every impression. So yeah. I've, I've yeah. since course, become right. kinder with the scheduling. <laughs> we, yeah, we Don't didn't think those things through at first. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. 
Daryl, tell us really quick, how can people come? What, um, where is it? When is it? What time? And, and everything you want to share with us. So hbhistory.org slash Civil War. If you Google Huntington Beach Civil War Days, that's where all the information is. It's Saturday and Sunday, September 3rd and 4th. Both days were starting at about 10 a.m. Um, the battles on Saturday, 1.30 and 4, so a little later in the day. And Sunday, you want to get there a little earlier, the battles are at 11 and 2. And there's, there's a full program. There's something every 15 minutes. There's something for everyone at our, our Civil War event. And then sometime next year, we'll also have a, uh, a Revolutionary War event. Beautiful. And you'll be back here for that. Daryl, where can people find you online? Um, for me, it's uh, everywhere is, is Lord Rivers. You know, Instagram is Lord Rivers. And um, YouTube, if you want to see Ken and I talk about the Civil War, um, or Brett and I talk about the Civil War, because uh, Brett's driving for Ken right now. He's another accomplished reenactor that needs to be on the show one day. Absolutely. Um, yes, I'd love to. Costume change uh, artist. Another costume changer, yes. Um, <laughs> it, uh, the, anyway, the YouTube is uh, the Ministry for History. Beautiful. And there's all kinds of stuff on there. Please go check it out. Daryl is is amazing, and there's some fascinating stuff on that channel, so head there. Uh, Ken, where can people find you? Hello. I'm 292 miles east of the Mississippi River at the moment in Tennessee, but <laughs> uh, the Facebook page is <laughs> the Facebook page is U.S. Grant in Living History, and the website is the same name, U.S. Grant in Living History. I love that. Great. Robert, how about you? I am at AbrahamLincolnLives.com, or they can just uh, Instagram or Facebook uh, my name, Robert Broski. Fantastic. Do that, my friends. Thank you all for being here. Wonderful gentlemen, Civil War Days this weekend. Please go. It is always fun and a fantastic and delightful time. Uh, I will be there. Come and say hi to me. And you can find me at SheenaMetalSpiritual.com both my entertainment and spiritual lives. You can learn about me. You can also find me at, um, at Sheena Metal. That's Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. And um, until I see you next Tuesday at 5 o'clock Pacific time, here for Raising the Vibration, don't forget my nonprofit, RaisingTheVibration.org, and on Facebook, Facebook.com slash I am Raising the Vibration. Um, Seek peace, my friends. Live in love. Lead with kindness. Embrace unity. Always work to raise your vibration. And remember that you are love and you are love. I'm Sheena Metal, and I love you all, and I'll see you next week. Thank you.